Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace, and they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. If I can use Angie and enjoy it, so can you. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Hello there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here on Judging Freedom. Today, I have a very special guest who uh, I am privileged to know as a colleague and a friend for many years back in my Fox days when my guest was a a regular guest uh, on Fox. You may know him as the person who almost became, in a shock election, the governor of California, I know him as a as a brilliant legal scholar, as a graduate of Brown University and the University of Michigan Law School, who believes that our rights come from within us and not from the government. I speak, of course, you recognize him, of the great Larry Elder. Larry, what a pleasure from the snowy hills of northwest New Jersey to wherever you are, probably on a beach somewhere in California. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Judging Freedom. Judge, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. What, what lesson did you learn in your almost upset uh, in the election in California where you took on a very unpopular totalitarian governor who basically said, do as I say, not as I do, but the do as I say was extremely dictatorial and in your face figuratively and literally. What did you learn from that experience? Well, Judge, I'm not sure I learned all that much other than I uh, have a renewed appreciation for how difficult it is to be a politician. Uh, we got into the race late. Uh, eight weeks were left. Uh, and it wasn't because I was trying to be strategic. I just didn't know if I wanted to do it. But I was pressured, leaned on, cajoled, talked into by a lot of people I respect. I wasn't impressed with the Republican rivals. Uh, I didn't think they read. He was down double digits until I got into the race and then went into the margin of error. Uh, and I, I guess I, I guess we learned what it's what it's like. I had four opponents, in my opinion. Obviously, Gavin Newsom, but also the rivals. Uh, they took snipes at me as I was gaining in momentum. I became the front runner right away in my campaign, and I made a a uh, decision at the at the very beginning, Judge, that we would not take shots at any of the Republican rivals because it's a two step deal. Uh, the recall was first of all the voters had to vote to recall him by fifty percent plus one, and then whoever got the highest number of votes on the replacement side would become governor. So nothing matters until 50% plus one would have voted to recall him. So during the campaign, anytime anybody brought up any of my rivals, whether it was the two-term mayor of, uh, of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, or an assemblyman, uh, Kevin Kiley, or Caitlin Jenner, or John Cox, who ran against him the first time, I always said, this is not about any of these guys. It's about Gavin Newsom. It's about crime. It's about homelessness. It's about the fact that people are leaving California for the very first time. And so, and the, and the party did not endorse me, not the, uh, not the Republican Party. So it was an insurgency kind of campaign. 
Uh, so I ran against Gavin Newsom. I ran against Republican rivals. I ran against the, all these special interests that aligned to raise almost $200 million uh, to wow. uh, get this retainers. He ended up, Judge, spending 50% more per vote than he spent to get his job. He spent 50% more per vote to keep his job. So we scared the bejesus out of him. And the other big rival, of course, was the hostile, and I mean hostile, media. I was called by a columnist at the LA Times, quote, the black face of white supremacy, close quote. Another columnist said that my views were white supremacist views. And uh, interestingly enough, during the campaign, Judge, you know, I'm a small little libertarian like you. I never once said, vote for me or against me because I'm black. I never made a big deal out of the fact that if I were elected, I'd be the first black gun of California. But um, the New York Times wrote a very hostile, long piece about me during the campaign. Never once mentioned that I was black. Never once mentioned that I'd be the first black governor of California. And Judge, I'm fine with that. Isn't it time we talk about somebody's qualifications or lack thereof and not talk about their race or their gender or their ethnicity or their religion? On the other hand, but when, one more point, real quick, Judge. The very same day, however, the New York Times wrote a long article about the first female governor of New York because she has a D at the end of her name. Her firstness was relevant. I my name, and suddenly I cease being black. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Now, I'm saying this not because I like you, and not because I agree with you, but because it's true. You left the race with your dignity intact, and you left the race with uh, conservative, traditionalist, libertarian Republicans around the country embracing you and, and hoping that you'll be a statewide candidate again. And since you left that race, the Democrats have been having their problems. Before the show, you were telling me about uh, Mrs. Pelosi, Diane Feinstein, uh, Gavin Newsom, what what are the voters thinking? Do they have voters' remorse already? It's only February. I really think they do, Judge. Uh, look, on the replacement side, we carried 57 of 58 counties in California. The only one we didn't carry was the county we're talking about, San Francisco, and I lost that by a whopping 149 votes. I got a greater percentage of the replacement votes than Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in 2003 during the first and only successful recall of a California governor. And since then, the electoral landscape in California, very, very different. There are now 5% more registered Democrats. There are 50% more registered independents and independents in California vote Democrats. There's a whopping 33% fewer registered Republicans. And I still got the greater percentage of the replacement votes than did Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, we got more votes than all the other 45 on the replacement side, rivals combined. I got three and a half million votes. And in seven weeks, I raised uh, $22 million. That's more than all the major Republican rivals combined, including John Cox, who, when he first ran against Gavin Newsom, put in $10 million of his own money. So we really, really did well. And out of the 150,000 individual donors, half of them came outside of California. These are people who never lived in California, didn't have businesses in California, uh, but they cared about California because it's the fifth largest economy in the world. And the fifth, so goes California, so goes the nation. So all these issues we we're talking about, about crime and about homelessness and about the fact that for the first time in a state's 170 year history, there's a net migration of people out of California. Uh, and the schools, don't get me started on the schools, 75 percent of black boys in third grade 
before the pandemic could not read at state levels of proficiency. Half of all third graders cannot, and 80% of the kids educated in government schools, I don't call them uh, uh, public schools, I call them government schools, 80% of the kids are black and brown, and they were denied a whole year of in-person education while Gavin Newsom was sitting up there at the French Laundry restaurant with the very people who drafted the mandates, not wearing masks, not even social distancing. His own kids were enjoying in-person private education. So for all those reasons, uh, I think I galvanized the base uh, and uh, we scared them. And the good news is what, what Gavin Newsom did judge was simply say, Larry Elder is leading a Republican takeover. And Barack Obama cut a commercial for him. Stop the Republican takeover. Liz Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, stop Republican takeover. Joe Biden flew in and campaigned for him and with him and said, stop Republican takeover. Not one word about whether Gavin Newsom has done a good job for the people right. of California. The good news is they employed that same strategy in Virginia and it blew up in their faces because the Virginia media was not nearly as hostile towards Glenn Youngkin and, uh, and Youngkin and McAuliffe had to debate each other. Uh, Gavin Newsom was able to avoid debating me because he knows he would have been destroyed. So uh, they, they employed the same tactic when they did have the debate. I think uh, Terry McAuliffe invoked Donald Trump five times in 20 minutes and Glenn Young can call him out on it and it backfired. What uh, happened to the management of the government schools, a phrase that you and I have both used for many years. And by the way, it rankles people in New Jersey. When I say that, like you wouldn't believe what happened right. to the management in government schools in San Francisco. Was there just some sort of a bombshell election there the other day? There sure was. There were three board members facing recall election, and boy, were they wrong. At 70%, all three of them were recalled. And there were three major issues. The most prestigious, the most successful high school, public high school in California, is called Low High. They've always had an admissions test, and because of that, over 60% or so of the student body is American. Well, that's not good enough for the diversity, inclusion, equity, wokeness on that board. So they've gone to a lottery system and it cheesed off uh, the parents in that, in that, uh, in that district, uh, many of whom were Asian Americans. Uh, the second issue was during the, 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 the uh, pandemic, they spent all the time trying to decide to rename 44 public schools, get rid of the oppressor names, you know, people like Abraham Lincoln and the other, other people on, the, on Mount Rushmore. Uh, and finally, of course, they shut down the schools for a whole year uh, when the science suggested that uh, with proper mitigation uh, management, they could reopen the schools. So for all those reasons, they were recalled. So they were even too woke for the woke voters in San Francisco. Wow. Wow. What are your uh, thoughts uh on Eric Adams, the former uh, New York City Police Department captain, who's now a bit of a revolutionary as the uh, mayor of the city of New York. And he's well, a Democrat. He, and he understands he law and order. I wish he were really a revolutionary. He's been uh, in office for about a month, and already the race card has come out. He had a press conference yesterday where he complained yeah, about his coverage. Uh, it was yeah. awful. And uh, I mean, come on, this is the guy who got endorsed by the New York Times. The New York Times did not endorse uh, uh, the uh, Asian American uh, candidate, uh, uh, Yang, not endorse the, the white candidate, they did not endorse uh, Curtis Lee while they endorsed this guy. And here he is whining about his coverage. And he's whining about the coverage because he ran, as you pointed out, as a law and order kind of guy, promised to reinstate the anti 
a gang unit and then backed away from it and has now kept the same face mask a vaccine mandate policies that uh, de Blasio had employed uh, and besides for. And he's not bringing back broken windows. He's not bringing back a stop, question, and frisk. So I'm, I'm not sure uh, whether he really is a law and order kind of guy. Seems to me that once he got there, he became your basic soft on crime Democrat. So I, I, I'm not impressed. Are, are we uh, in a hopeless situation? I mean, we have we have governors and mayors acting like they're totalitarians. We have them making up their own laws, all these mask and right. sp- social distancing and vaccine laws. None of them, not one, was enacted by a legislature. In our system, right. the legislature writes the laws, the governor or the mayor enforces them. They don't make them up. Is it hopeless, Larry? I don't think so. Look at the polls. Joe Biden is underwater in every state other than four. He's even underwater here in California. A growing number of people are saying, look, everybody in the high risk groups who has who wants to be vaccinated, has been vaccinated, can be vaccinated, can be vaccinated for free. And that's the risk group that we need to be need to be concerned about. Young people who are healthy, uh, who don't have other comorbidities, are not likely to, to get really sick, not likely to be hospitalized, and certainly not likely to die. And there's a growing recognition of that, which is what I said during the campaign. And I got hammered as an anti-vax guy. Whenever I gave a speech, Judge, I would always say, I've been vaccinated. I've been double vaccinated. They didn't have the booster at the time, and I was still called in ads anti-vax. But a growing number of people are fed up with this. And uh, what happened in San Francisco, I think, is an example of that. And uh, the poll numbers of Joe Biden is an example of that. Uh, Kamala Harris is at 30 percent here in California. Nancy Pelosi at 30 percent here in California. California is a deep, deep blue state. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic going forward that come November, we're going to have a sea change in the House and hopefully a sea change in, in the Senate. When is Dianne Feinstein up for re-election? Because I think her numbers are just down there. Even you're being charitable. Her numbers, I believe, are worse than Mrs. Pelosi's. Well, the House members are up, for, up every two years uh, in November. So she's always up for re-election. Got a, got a big, big... Uh, uh, Senator, uh, Senator Feinstein, when is she up for re-election? I, I think she's up, uh, not not this time, but the next time, uh, two years from now. I don't think she's up right now. But I'm telling you, I haven't seen her. Have you? I haven't no. seen her publicly anywhere. What I understand no. is her her condition, her her cognitive condition, might very be might very well be worse than Joe Biden. And it became an issue during the campaign because I was asked in the event that Diane Feinstein steps down or God forbid something else should happen to her, what are you going to do? I said, appoint a Republican. Uh, and of course, right. uh, what do they, they expect went, you to do? Exactly, because that would switch the uh, the power in, uh, in in the Senate. And when one of my opponents, uh, uh, a Republican, said he would leave it up to the voters of California, which was a dodge, I said, "I'm a Republican. I'm going to I'm going to appoint a Republican, just as a, a, a Democrat governor uh, would support a Democrat governor to succeed her in the event that she steps down." So, should <laughs> should Donald Trump be the uh, presidential nominee in 2024, or is he a drag to many voters, even those who voted for him? two years ago and six years ago? Well, I voted for him twice. Twice, I'm a fan of Donald Trump. I campaigned with him and for him uh, the first time he ran. And if he runs again and gets a nomination, I will enthusiastically support him. But uh, I'm not wedded to him. Uh, I'm wedded to his policies, strong on, on, on national security, strong on the borders. The three judges that he appointed to the Supreme Court, they were all home runs, low taxes. Uh, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for reducing all the regulations that he did. So as long as people pursue his policies, 
I'm fine. I'd be fine with a, with a Ron DeSantis. I'd be fine with a Mike Pompeo. Uh, but I, I think Donald Trump is the 800-pound uh, elephant in the room. Uh, he's got a lot of money, not just his own money, but also money from the donor class. So if he runs, he'll be formidable. Does he have baggage? Absolutely. But anybody he runs against is going to have baggage. Joe Biden has baggage. Kamala Harris certainly has baggage. And I don't see them getting rid of Kamala Harris. Uh, the, the most loyal part of the Democratic base are black females, and they love, love, love them from Kamala Harris. And if it right. is perceived that she's been kicked aside for somebody else, uh, the wrath of the black female voter will be something to behold. The last uh, question for you, and, I, and I, this wasn't going to be my last question, but I sense in you a certain joy in, in espousing your views as articulately as you do. And I also sensed in you during the campaign a certain joy. Now, a lot of politicians are angry. You're happy. Will you do this again, Larry Elder, in California? Well, for now, I've set up a political action committee called Elder for America. I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar so I can help Republicans take back the House, take back the Senate, and I can do more to get these uh, woke school board members out of here, get these soft on crime DAs out of here and campaign against things like critical race theory. So that's what I want to do uh, in the intermediate term. But beyond that, I've left the door jar. I'm not going to run against Gavin Newsom this November for all the reasons I mentioned. We're out number three to one. But I am leaving the door open for a future race for some other time. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I was joyful. I did have a good time, but the media did not, you know, and, and during my campaign stump speeches, and I spoke often for, with crowds people told me were largest than those of Donald Trump. And I cracked joke after joke after joke. And then I cut, cut on television and they never show any of the jokes. They just show me being, uh, <laughs> being stumped and being serious because that's the face that they wanted. They wanted this angry guy. I'm not a guy. I'm a happy guy. And I really thoroughly enjoyed campaigning. I had never run for anything before other than third grade class president. And I found that I was good at it. And I found that I enjoyed it. And I found that I missed talk radio a lot less than I thought I would. So you're right. I am a happy guy because my goodness, look at me. My dad was a janitor. I went to an Ivy League college. I'm a lawyer. I've now got a talk show in 300 markets. I'm a New York Times bestseller. I have a star on the Walk of Fame for crying out loud on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Touch me. I cannot believe the things that's happened to me. I, I, I would, I would, God would be upset with me if I were unhappy. <laughs> Larry, I love you. Larry's pack is uh, elderforamerica.com. I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. It's a, it's a pleasure. Judge Napolitano, you know judging freedom. You know where to find me. Thanks. I appreciate it.